So turn, if you would, to the passage that was read earlier, Luke chapter 21, Luke 21. And we're going to continue in this morning in a message that uh, Jesus actually began. The first part we covered last week, and now today we come to the second part of Jesus' message. Now, Jesus is in the temple. I want to set the scene for you a little bit. You weren't with us last week. It's the last few days of Jesus' life before he goes to the cross and then the glorious resurrection. He is in Jerusalem. Every day he's going to the temple to teach. And then in the evening he crosses the Kidron Valley, goes to the Mount of Olives, and is there with his disciples. That's really the rhythm that the Jesus followed the last several days before the cross. Well, as cross gets nearer Jesus is in the temple and while he is there teaching observing also the things taking place in the temple some of his disciples begin admiring this incredible amazing work a glorious temple in Jerusalem and in response to what they were seeing and saying the Lord makes a statement. He shares something that is absolutely shocking. The disciples are completely not prepared for it. The Lord says this about the building that they are admiring and is the center of their nation. He makes this statement in verse 6. Luke 21 as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. In response to their admiration of what was for their people the focus of their faith, Jesus makes this statement. It's going to be torn down, not one stone left upon another. And of course, the disciples immediately want to know, what does this mean? How, 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 are we, how are we going to know when these things are about to happen? Verse 7, Jesus has made this statement, and then his disciples ask him. Look at verse 7. Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place. They connect what Jesus has said, that the destruction of the temple, with the end of time, the end of all things. And Jesus recognizes this, that what he has just said in their minds, they're connecting the destruction of the temple with the end. And so Jesus, in his answer, and this is important for us and able to understand this prophecy of Jesus, he separates these two events. He separates the destruction of the temple with the end of all things. And he does it by saying, some of this is near, some of this is far away. 
As you read prophecy in the Bible, not just these words of Jesus, but as you read prophecy in the Old Testament, many times things that are stated that are very near are just a picture also of what is to come. And that's what the Lord is doing here. He's helping them to understand that between this destruction of the temple and the end of all things, there's going to be a period of time between those. And if you'll notice this review again, he says here's what's going to happen. Disciples are going to face persecution. Verse 12, notice that. He says you're going to be arrested. They'll persecute you. You'll be delivered up out of the synagogues into prisons. You're going to be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. It says be, there's coming a time, not just at the destruction of the temple, but on until the end of all things. You, my disciples, are going to experience persecution. But with the persecution, he says, do not forget this. With persecution comes what? Opportunity for the gospel. Opportunity to share. Notice verse number 16 and then 17. He says, make sure, verse 13 actually, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. That in this time of persecution, disciples, the season which is coming, you will have opportunity to bear witness. But then he makes them a promise that even though persecution will come to them and to the disciples to come, he makes this promise, verse 18, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. Notice what he said, yes, your enemies may and will kill some of you but not one of you will perish and friends how we need to keep that in mind that those who can kill the body they cannot touch the soul God has complete sovereign authority and he has given to every one of his children everlasting life and Jesus said they will never perish so he gives that word of promise and says, and you must continue with endurance. Trusting this promise, knowing what's ahead, you keep your endurance. Then, here's the next part of what Jesus had to say. Then Jesus continues. He's continuing this message. And the message is built around what? Notice the message is built around the question that they have asked him. The question is verse 7. It's the key to everything Jesus is talking about. Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? How will we know what will be the sign? And so Jesus having talked about the temple's destruction, he then talks about what goes with that, the destruction of Jerusalem. Notice 
what he says. He says that there's going to come this time when the temple will be destroyed and Jerusalem will be destroyed. But he says there's near and there's far. Remember how Jesus is answering this. There are things that are about to happen. They're just a few years away, he tells his disciples. When the temple and Jerusalem itself are going to be destroyed. That's the near. But there is a far. There is coming another judgment. Not just to Jerusalem, but to the world. And the Lord is bringing those two together in this message. And so I want you to notice here, what Jesus does is, as he talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, and the coming of the end of time, the end of the age, he says that there are four things, four things that he wants them to understand that define and describe what's going to happen. Okay? So follow with me here. Jesus defines and he describes for his disciples then and his disciples now four things that are on this timeline. First of all, he says that there will be the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus defines and describes the destruction of Jerusalem. That begins in verse 20. It was read earlier. Look at your Bible. Here's what Jesus said. Here's the near. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart and let those who are out in the country, not those who are out in the country, enter into the city. For these are the days of vengeance. The word vengeance here is a word of judgment by God. These are the days of vengeance to fulfill all is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. Now, it's important to note here the word earth here, great distress upon the earth, is translated better and is in other translations, there will be great distress in the land and on this people. He's talking about the Jewish people, the people of Jerusalem and Judea. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. Now imagine if you're one of Jesus' disciples and you have been on a journey to Jerusalem. And just a few days earlier, you have marched with the cheering throngs down from the Mount of Olives, waving the palm branches and and singing and declaring... Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. What are they saying? The king. 
has come. The king is here. They've just been a part of this. And now here is the king saying, this temple is going to be torn down. This city is going to be surrounded by armies and completely desolated. Now imagine if you were one of the disciples. Now my friends, the reality of what Jesus is describing here is really beyond words because just 30 years or more after Jesus spoke these words, there was a war of rebellion that started in the land of Israel against the Roman occupying forces. The Romans sent in legion after legion to bring it under control. The war raged from 66 A.D. all the way until 70 A.D. when the general Titus who was the son of the emperor Vespasian, arrived around Passover, 70 AD, and started a siege of the city of Jerusalem. The city had swelled because of refugees from its normal size of maybe four to 500,000. It had swelled in its size to, the historians tell us, of maybe a million people were in the city. And for five months, the legions of Rome surrounded it in a siege, battering its walls day and night. And over a period of five months, death, disease, famine, starvation. And finally, in August of 70 A.D., the final wall was breached by the Roman soldiers. They charged into the city of Jerusalem and the most unbelievable slaughter took place. No one spared. The estimates of the people that were put to death ranged from 500,000 to maybe as many as a million people. Butchered. The temple was torn down, stone by stone, to get the gold and the jewels encrusted. And those who survived were sold into slavery. Josephus, who was a contemporary of this, and other historians tell us something very interesting. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of Jewish people in the city, who were believers in Jesus, but when they saw what was happening, when they saw what was about to take place, they recognized what Jesus had said was coming to pass. There were also amazing signs that they interpreted of earthquakes, comets seen in the sky. And those Jewish people who were believers in Jesus, they fled as Jesus had told them to. 
They fled across the Jordan River, went into what we would consider modern-day country of Jordan, to a city of Pella, and there they established a worshiping community that existed for centuries and centuries to come, a city named Pella. Now this is what happened, literally fulfilling. Jesus said this is about to happen. But then, Jesus having described and defined what was going to happen to Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jesus defines and describes the last days. Remember, he's doing the near and the far. And he says, notice it's very interesting, and you need to mark your Bibles to see the transition here. It's very important. Verse 24, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and that they will be killed by the sword, led captive among the nations. And then he says this, Jerusalem will be trampled. It will continue to be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, by foreign nations, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. What is Jesus saying? The, end, the destruction of Jerusalem is not the end. It's the same thing that he said. Notice back in verse number 9. He described the destruction of the temple. And what did he say in verse 9? Do you see it? But the end will not be at once. These things that he's describing are not fulfilled just with the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem, there's more to come. And he says, notice in verse 24, Jerusalem will fall, but it will continue to be trampled underfoot by foreign nations until the time of the Gentiles, the nations are fulfilled. I read this week, One historian has said that there are on record 112 different conflicts since Jesus spoke these words for control of Jerusalem. 112. Even to this day, there is constant threat in the city of Jerusalem and around Jerusalem. Now notice how Jesus defined these last days that are coming. This is very interesting. How did he define these days? He called them the times, the time of the Gentiles. The time of the Gentiles. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot of the nations until... (laughs) The time of the Gentiles and this trampling comes to an end. You see, Jesus is here as he describes trampling. He's describing what's going to be happening for year after year after year after year to the city of Jerusalem by, this, by the Gentiles. But this term, the time of the Gentiles is not just associated, friends, listen carefully, with the destruction of Jerusalem and the continued trampling of Jerusalem. It's also connected with a time 
of the gospel going to the nations. Notice what Paul said. If you'd like to turn, Paul made reference to this in the book of Romans. There was a question. Here's what the Jewish people were saying. Those even who were believers in Jesus. How is it possible? All of these promises made to our fathers, made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How could all of these promises be made? And look what has happened. The Messiah has been crucified and almost none of the Jewish people believe in him. What has happened? Well, Paul, who happens to be a Jewish man, has been shown an understanding by God of the times of the Gentiles. Romans chapter 11, verse 25, here's what Paul says. He says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. Now, notice, stop here. What's a mystery? In the New Testament, a mystery is something that has been hidden, but now it's being revealed. Anytime you read in the New Testament where there's something called a mystery, it means it was hidden in its understanding before, but now it's being revealed. So Paul is saying, here is something that's a mystery. It has been hidden, but now let me reveal it to you by the Spirit of God. What is it? Verse 25. Here is the mystery. That a temporary, partial, partial hardening has come upon Israel. They, they don't believe. They've rejected their Messiah. They've crucified their king as a nation. They've called for the blood to be upon their heads. He says, this has happened. There's a spiritual hardening upon them. And this is going to continue until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. The fullness of the nations. What does this mean? The Lord said that the gospel would go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that this gospel would do something. Listen carefully, church. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Christ makes everyone one in a brand new humanity, a brand new family. Whether you're Jew, Gentile, whatever your ethnicity, your native origin, male, female, in Christ, the wall's down. There's a new body being built that has nothing to do in Christ Jews and Gentiles are united and that's where the gospel is to go people are lost if they're without Christ if they're Jewish and without Christ they're lost if they're Gentiles and without Christ they're lost but Christ died for all The sheep of Israel and the sheep far and scattered in the other nations to bring them back to God. And Paul makes the promise, though, God has not forgotten his people. His people that they knew as Israel, they are being 
reached, those by, who come by faith are being reached through Christ. Jews and Gentiles. And this is going to continue. This is the time of the Gentiles. And this trampling of, trampling of Jerusalem is going to continue. And this going out of the gospel around the world to Jews and Gentiles is going to continue. And what is this known as? What's this season that we're living in? It's known as the last days. These are the last days. Sometimes when we think that the Bible refers to the last days... We think it means the days right before the end. And at times it does mean that. But we are living in the last day. <laughs> These days that we are living in and the disciples, the followers of Christ, these are the last days. What did John say back in 90 AD? He said, brothers, my little children, these are the last days. But there's coming an end. There's coming an end to these last days. And as the final days of the age in which we live approach, Jesus said there would be signs that would begin to be even greater in demonstration. Look at verse 25 now. Go back to Luke. Listen to Jesus. He's talking about what's near the destruction of Jerusalem. It's going to continue to be trampled. While it's being trampled, what's happening? The gospel's going out to all the nations. All right? But then he talks about something that's far, but it's going to happen. Verse 25, and there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming to the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Jesus said there are these signs that are going to come to great, great demonstration at the very end. Now we have to be careful here. Let's stop for a moment. Jesus has told us there are signs that are associated with the very end. But we have to be very careful that we don't become people who are trying to pinpoint the day when all of this is going to come to an end. There's one thing every date has in common when people have set a date for the end of the world. Guess what? 100% wrong. What would you have thought was happening if you lived in Europe in the 1300s? when half of the population died. Think it's the end of the world. What would you be thinking if you lived a hundred some years ago 
when for the first time a world war erupts, a world war, disease breaks out, and within a period of years, 60, 70 million. What would, were people thinking when there rose up a man like Hitler slaughtering the Jewish people, six million just in Europe? And the world at war, 50 million people killed in the Second World War. What would people be thinking then? This is it. We have to be very careful. However, the Bible is clear. Jesus is saying, as the time of the end draws near, there will be a worldwide increase. And these signs, these, these signs in the sky among the people, the fear, trembling. It seems like an entire world is coming apart. The powers of the heavens shaken. Now we're listening to Jesus here, but listen to this. And all you have to do is just read a few passages from the book of Revelation. Describes that season. But he says he, his people should have an awareness. An awareness of the last days. And Jesus though, what did he do in the first part of the message when he said, you're going to be put in prison, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be hated, your own families will turn from you. Some of you will even die. Yet what did he do? He said, not a hair of your head will perish. I'm with you. Then he starts the second half of his message. Jerusalem will be destroyed. It's going to be trampled under the feet of the nations. Year after year after year. Century after century. Warfare after warfare. Building, building, building in a crescendo, not of upward climb of humanity to greatness, but downward spiral into more depravity and darkness. And every advancement of mankind just becomes an advancement for how men can slaughter themselves. And when it looks like it is midnight, he says, when you see all these things begin coming to fruition, Jesus defines and describes a third thing. <laughs> he defines and describes his return. What does he say? Verse 27, in the midnight, in the midnight, the darkest of times, Verse 27, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. <laughs> Out of the darkness comes the light of the King of the Ages. He's 
coming just as he left. How did he leave? He left this earth in a cloud. And he's coming back in the clouds in power and great glory. And he's coming to do what? He's coming to judge the world and judge his enemies. But for his people, <laughs> the judge is whom? The Savior, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. Now, people ask, where are we on this timeline? Well, guess what? I don't want to join the list of the 100% wrong you know you used to be able to say foolish things in a sermon and get away with it now it's forever and ever but I do want to show you a, a, an interesting word to remember he said until there's the until this is going to continue to happen until but then he noticed he says this the word begin begin when you begin when these things begin to happen my friend listen it's already begun you know it, it, it amazes me people are fascinated trying to see if it's if it's already if it's about to begin if, friends it's already begun this thing is this world is headed toward judgment and a day of meeting with the Maker, the King of Kings. It's already begun. So here's the question How are we to respond? How are we to respond? Because knowing these things, and Jesus doesn't give us a... He does not give us this electron microscope of timeline of prophetic truth. That we can know exactly every single thing. Those are the things that belong to God himself. What did Jesus say to his disciples? They said, Lord, are you going to establish the kingdom now, now, now? And he basically said very nicely, but pointedly, that's none of your business. <laughs> Those things are delivered into the hands of the Father. Here's your business. You go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And then you start being witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what you need to focus on. How are we to respond? And that's the last thing I want you to see quickly. Jesus defines and describes the attitude and the anticipation of his disciples. What should be our attitude? What should be our anticipation as we live in these times that are so challenging and hard and difficult and we have every reason to believe that, yes, they could get worse? How are we to live? Verse 28. Now when these things begin to take place. Straighten up. Raise your heads. 
Because your redemption is drawing near. What did Jesus say should be our attitude and our action as we live in a world when it looks like things are coming apart? How are we to live? What's our, to be our attitude and our anticipation? Our attitude is to be straightened up. <laughs> and our anticipation is to be look up. Straighten up and look up. What's Jesus saying? Change your focus. Stop walking, bent over, depressed at how terrible the world is and how badly we're being treated as Christians and it's just not fair and no one, no one believes what they used to believe and it's just all going straight down the tubes. And, and I was just watching the news. I've been on the news and, you know, that's absolutely, I read this on the internet. <laughs> and the next thing you know, we, who are supposed to be the light of the world with our depression and anger and anxiety, we are putting a bushel over the light of the hope of a coming Savior. Straighten up, Jesus said. Get your mind right. And stop focusing so much on looking around, looking down, look up. When you see these things, what's the hope? The Redeemer's coming. The redemption is coming. It's not the end. It's the beginning. What would it be like if we could understand living in the last days means it's not midnight. It's just about dawn. The day star rising it's not the end it's the beginning you haven't even begun to live my friend neither have I because our redemption is coming what's redemption I, I've been redeemed well yeah but you got more to come <laughs> you're all ready but not yet You know you're not what you ought to be. But thank God in Christ, you're not all you're going to be. <laughs> Redemption. Deliverance from this old body. Life with Christ, the Redeemer. It's not the end. It's the beginning. April 9th. 1945, on the express command of Adolf Hitler, as he cowered in the darkness of his underground bunker in Berlin and could hear the rumble of the destruction of his capital of the Third Reich, he sent express orders for a Lutheran pastor to be hanged. That Lutheran pastor's name was Diedrich Bonhoeffer, one of the great theologians of the 20th century. 
A man who had, yes, opposed Hitler. A man who had incredibly impacted lives with the gospel. But Hitler himself said, make sure you stretch that preacher's neck. And so they came to Bonhoeffer's cell in Flossenburg concentration camp. Called out his name. And he knew what was expected. So he took off all of his clothes. Put them in a nice, neat stack. Took off his glasses that he always wore. He walked with the guards next to him. Down that concrete hallway to the scaffold just beyond and he said to one of his friends a cellmate these words this is the end for me the beginning of life now friends that's how we should approach the end Whenever it is, however it is, it's not the end. It's the beginning of life. Let's bow our heads in prayer. What a hope we have in Jesus. Amen. And dear friend, right now as our heads are bowed, As our heads are bowed, I want you, though in your spirit, to lift up your head. Look to Jesus. He is sufficient. Whatever darkness you're in, whatever trial you're in, He is sufficient. Lift up your head. Look to Christ. Oh, I'm so thankful for Greg's testimony this morning. <laughs> he, he told me in the study back there, I so long looked to myself. I looked to myself. It was all about me, but God opened my eyes to see it's all about Jesus. Oh, friend, that's how you find life. You, you lose your life in Christ and you find it in Him. <laughs> so, dear friend, Straighten up. Let's straighten up. And let's look up. Let's change our focus. And let's believe that wherever we are in life, whatever the journey, it's not a journey to destruction, disaster. It is a journey to life in Christ. And our Lord is coming. He's coming. Now in this time, will you come to Him? Come to Christ. Right now, come to Christ. Call upon Him. Believe in Him. He is the Redeemer. He will give you life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are the Redeemer. There is no other 
And oh Lord, I pray you would help us in the trials that we're in or in the trials that may come to always lift up our head and see that nothing can take us away from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that we live in Him now and we will live forever with Him. Thank you, Lord, that in a time of crumbling society and the shaking of the earth, fear and anxiety, that Jesus is our cornerstone. And all people said, Amen. Amen.